0: Welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 293. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you doing, Kevin?
1: I'm doing pretty well.
0: Nice. Lots of World Cup action this week. World Cup Very fever. exciting. We definitely got the World Cup fever. But we're not here to talk about the World Cup. We're here to talk about what we're covering this week, and that is the 2018 Human Rights Watch Film Festival that's happening in New York right now we got two reviews lined up for you. We're going to be talking about Marilyn Ness's Charm City and Simon Lorraine Wilmont's The Distant Barking of Dogs, along with a few other selections I got to see during the festival. Of course, we'll be going over new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray a couple housekeeping things to cover before we get started. Uh, one, our new film, Pulse Selects title, is available to watch right now. Uh, this week, we released Innards by Tyler Rubenfeld. It's a short film. Highly recommend watching it. It's like 10, 10 11 minutes, but uh, it, it's great. It's about this uh, this guy who is he goes to a, um, a yard sale, and he happens to find this old VHS copy of, Of a movie he was in with his twin brother when he was a little kid. This shot on video horror movie called Innards. And he reaches out to his brother in order to uh, try to reconnect over this movie that they were in. Uh, No Ryan watches a movie this week. Ryan also has World Cup fever. To the point where... (laughs) He is like unable to do anything other than watch the World Cup and sleep.
1: He can't do anything. World Cup takes a lot out of him.
0: Yeah, so with with Ryan's disease, he sleeps like all the time. He's he's got a really weird sleep schedule. And with the World Cup, he's waking up at like eight o'clock to watch some of these matches and it evidently is taking its toll on him. It's
1: just it's taken him out.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to have a new episode of that up next week. We will be doing a World Cup episode, so stay tuned for that. I think it's going to be kind of fun. Uh, and then finally, we have a new Patreon, uh, or a new patron, rather, on our Patreon, patreon.com slash filmpulse, if you want to help us out by contributing. Uh, no name on this one. This was just anonymous, but thank you very much for... Uh, subscribing to our Patreon. Before we get into our first review, I just want to quickly talk about what the Human Rights Watch Film Festival is. um, Because we don't normally... We've done like hot docs in the past. We've done a couple other documentary film festivals, but uh, we don't cover them a whole lot on here. I tend to get burnt out very quickly and easily when it comes to documentary film festivals. Um, Just powering through that many docs is it's really, it can be tough. I don't know why necessarily. It just, I don't know. For some reason it really takes it out of me, but the human rights watch film festival is one that we've been covering for a few years now. And I find it to be more, I find it to be more important than other uh, film festivals uh, that, that focus on. Yeah. Documentaries yeah these are these are very specifically curated documentaries that are from the Human Rights Watch so they they all have a very specific uh, they, they all carry a very specific impact with them and I think that all of the documentaries there's like 40 docs that that screen every year and they do it in I think 20 cities. Around the world. Okay. And they uh, they go through this like really rigorous vetting process. And once they choose the around 40 films, then they go to programmers in each city that the, uh, the festival will be held. And then the, the programmers will choose which ones that they think are the most important to be seen in their city. So... All of the documentaries, I think, that are that screen in the Human Rights Watch Film Festival are important in their own way. So it, it's always a festival that that I will make time for, just because I think that people need to see and need to hear about the movies that screen there. I, I should note that this year, there's at least in the the New York one that's happening now, um, there is one narrative feature. So it's not all documentaries, not really? but. Yeah, but it's it's almost all documentaries. So if you want to find out more about the Human Rights Watch Film Festival, you can go to ff.hrw.org. Or if you want to just learn more about Human Rights Watch and the organization itself, it's, it's a fantastic organization. You can go to hrw.org and learn more about Human Rights Watch. That being said, let's talk about... Our first documentary. I'm thinking uh, we can dive into Charm City. So, this is directed by Marilyn Ness. I have a synopsis here. During three years of unparalleled violence in Baltimore, Charm City delivers an unexpectedly candid, observational portrait of those left on the front lines. With grit, fury, and compassion, a group of police, citizens, and government officials grapple with the consequences of violence and try to reclaim their future. Now you have a review for this up on the site. So I'll start it off. I really enjoyed charm city. Now there is a certain amount of bias. I think when it comes to this movie, just because it takes place in Baltimore, this is a city that you and I grew up very close to. We went to Baltimore a lot. You still go to Baltimore a lot. So yeah. So this is, this is a city that's, that's near and dear to my heart. And I, I think that, for me Baltimore is probably my second favorite city in the United States. Uh, I love New York. That's always going to be num- my number 1, but Baltimore number 2 for me. I I really love the city of Baltimore and to have a documentary that that focuses on Baltimore, it's always going to be I'm always going to be attracted to that. Yeah. So with with that sort of caveat <laughs> Out of the way, I thought that this was still a uh, a really well-made documentary that sort of, it it doesn't do, I feel like it can't, it can't do a really deep dive because there's so many facets of what's happening regarding crime in Baltimore, but it certainly shines a light on it. And it, I think that it does a good enough job at highlighting each of the various arms that affect the the crime and, and deal with the crime in the city. You have your police, you have uh, the city councilman that, that they follow around. Uh, and then you have your like um, community leaders, like the uh, what's the, uh, the Ro- what's the,
1: the- Rose, Rose street community center.
0: Yes. The, yeah. The Rose street community center. And, Also the, the other guy that is, um, they, I think they made a whole documentary about it. The interrupters. I think that was it called.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. When he ends up working for, I think, what was their version? Like safe streets.
0: Yeah. Something like that where, where basically it's a, it's, it's a, an organization where people sort of seek out confrontations that are happening and try to mediate those confrontations before they turn to violence uh it's, it's a great that's a great organization and and st- statistics show that 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 organization is doing really a really good job at uh deescalating violent situations so i i found the the police stuff to be the most exciting the most interesting just to to i mean it was it was, it was essentially like you know, cops are like one of those where the camera crew was just on a ride along with these, these officers dealing with, with issues, but they didn't just do it like an episode of cops. They gave us statistics and background on everything as it was happening so that we had context for why maybe some of the reasons as to why these things are happening. Uh, but, Overall, I really enjoyed the documentary. I thought it was really well made. And there's well, let's get your um, initial opinions first and then we'll talk more about yeah. some of the things I liked.
1: I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. I 100% agree with you and it. it's it, it's it, it's a decent attempt, but like you said, it, there's too many facets to this. There's too many that you're not going to be able to cover everything in a movie like just from time constraints, like the only way you could even come possibly close to getting, you know, a well-rounded overview or a portrait of this would be, you know, like a 16-part docu-series or something, you know, like you're not gonna be able to just get all this in, uh, you know, like an hour and a half doc. But what I enjoy the kind of like three-prong approach, of following around the city councilman, the police officers, and the Rose Street Community Center. For me, I found the, the Rose Street Community Center portions of the movie to be the best. And the gauging of the three, like the city councilman, I didn't really think it didn't really seem like she followed him too much.
0: Right. Yeah. He was a really interesting person. And I really liked what he was trying to do and the way in which he was like that, that how he wanted to embed sort of, uh, all these different departments within each area when looking at sort of that, that crime map that they have. I liked yeah. all of his ideas and he seemed like a really kind of intelligent, charismatic person, but you're right. They, they didn't spend as much time with him and the stuff that he was doing.
1: And it's also really interesting kind of, Uh, like how they cut this is where it's kind of like a a tiered approach to where you have the Rose street community center, which is just, you know, it's their community. They live there. They're, you know, just hands on, you know, they're, they go around at night just cleaning up alleys and streets. They do the intervening with the the confrontations. Like you said, you know, they're handing out bus fares to people. And just small amounts of money here and there.
0: They also try to help people find jobs too. Whenever they find new jobs that are being hired for, like the city and stuff like that, they try to hook people up with jobs so that they can, you know, get off the streets, go legit.
1: Yeah, it's just like this really great sense of community there, and then you kind of have the the tier above that, which is the police officers, you know, which. I think for that section is it's a little bit difficult because you're talking about this is pretty much right after Freddie Gray and you have a camera crew there and you know that it's it's kind of uh, you know that it's going to be curated a little bit. you're not going to see like an actual representation of the police force and then you have the city councilman you know a, a step above trying to like make policy and stuff and it's just really interesting to see the like the the low-level stuff of Rose street community center what they're doing and how much impact that they have you know where they put out that uh ridiculous statistic where like they haven't had a shooting in like or a homicide in like 18 months in their in like that section of the city and then they see how how that quickly that falls apart when the, the the guy that runs it, Mr. C, is in the hospital a little bit. You know, for what, like a week or so?
0: Yeah. Then,
1: like immediately, like as soon as he's gone, it's just violence, just it spikes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was really interesting. One one of the things that they dive into is the the lack of officers. They they there's this this major police shortage and they end up having to give all the officers overtime and they can't find enough, can't find enough cops to patrol the streets. They need more cops. They can't find them. And they have these like, these like council meetings where they're not getting the funding that they need because they're like, well, you know, we can't, we don't want to give you funding because the crime is going up and you guys aren't doing anything. We don't want to be authorizing this overtime because crime keeps spiking. And it's sort of like this catch 22 situation that they're in where they need more cops, but they can't get more cops because they don't have enough funding they don't have enough funding because crime keeps going up and it's just this, this vicious cycle that's happening in uh, in the police departments there
1: i just i also the the way that they cut that too i think this is one of the things that struck me the most with this with this doc is you have that little sequence of where they're talking about you know informing everyone that they're going to overtime shifts and they're going to be working these hours and everyone's like bummed out and they're just like oh god we gotta do this at work and whatever And then you still have, you know, like the officer Winston where he's talking about stress at work and how he's able to get away and there's shots of him going to the mall and shopping, you know, kind of decompressing. And then the same thing with the city councilman, he's able to, you know, there's footage of him like going jogging and, you know, being able to decompress. And then you have Rose Street, which their shifts are 24 hours. Like they don't get to leave this. Cause it's mm-hmm. their community. Like they have to deal with it 24 seven. Like they're not really given that ability to decompress and like their right. decompressing is just more community activities where, you know, like Alex long, who for me was, I think the, the gem of this doc, cause this guy's incredible. And it's one of those things like, where I kind of talk about a lot with docs is where you get the, you get to see these, these characters that I don't think in this guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As try as you might, you're not going to be able to create a, a character as compelling as Alex long is. and like his decompressive stuff is like doing work with kids and, you know, coaching football and stuff. And yeah, I would agree if there's a kid that comes up and he's like, are we having practice today?
0: Yeah, he he's definitely one of the highlights of the film. So he was a, he's an ex con, and he started getting involved with this this uh the Rose Street community thing. And then he's also the I don't know if he's a leader. He's he, I think he's like the leader of that um safe what is safe it Street. safe streets safe streets Street. Yeah, yeah. He's he's like the leader of that as well. And unfortunately, his his sister, his younger sister, gets killed, gets shot and killed in their neighborhood, and it it was so powerful because he doesn't he doesn't use that tragedy as a, a, a conduit to go back to his, his own violence. He he uses that to sort of empower him to put even more time and work even harder at what he was doing before. Like he doesn't let that dissuade him in, in his mission.
1: It's just the, kind of struck by that scene where he kind of has that, the memorial, the shrine for his, for his younger sister. And, you know, the kid comes up and asks him if they're, if they're going to have practice later that day. And, you know, he, he's, he, even in that moment, he's really not getting a chance to, to grieve for, you know, like the things that are afforded to the officers and the city councilmen where they're able to just like get away from the crime and stuff and just kind of do their own thing and then just come back fresh. You know, they're able to recharge. But, the, you know, Rose Street, this community, they don't they don't have that opportunity. They don't get to do that.
0: Right. They live in it. That's yeah. That's their lives. And they just, you know,
1: they just, the little things base things where they're actually getting results, you know, and you you see, you know, the higher ups, like everything that they have to go through, all the bureaucracy and everything to just even try and implement something.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a rough, things in Baltimore are pretty rough right now. In the, in the film, they say that the city was built for a million people, but there's 30,000 vacant homes in Baltimore right now, which only perpetuates the criminal activity. Uh, you, there's one scene where the, when we're following the police and they get called to this abandoned home that's being used as a drug den basically. And it's just, uh, it's just a bad, it's a bad situation there right now. And it seems like, it seems like, people are trying to make a difference, but it feels at the same time, like they're just sort of treading water. Like they're not as much as they're doing. It doesn't seem to be, it's helping, but not in any kind of lasting way.
1: Yeah. Which is which I did find interesting with the city councilman, you know, when they're, The police come and they're kind of like we need more money and it's just their response to it is like is that like is that an idea though like it seems like that's all they ever have it's just like we need more funding it's like yeah but like nothing's working like you probably got more funding last time and there's just more crime like you can't just keep throwing money at it
0: yeah i think that what they need to do is, and, and what that city councilman is trying to do is, you need to f- fund more programs that prevent younger people from going down this path. You need you need to hit it at its source, you know?
1: Yeah, and kind of get back to like a community based, like actual police force that knows the community instead of just going in there. Faceless.
0: I think that some of I think that some of the officers, especially the one I can't remember his name, the one the one guy that we follow, the like the the main guy that we follow, like he seems to have his finger on the pulse of the community. He knows people. He seems to know the community, and he seems to be genuinely wanting to do good work within the community.
1: Which I think there there's a sequence with him. I think that is the to me the best uh there the well well executed scene is where he rolls up on the drum line practicing outside yeah um, made a noise complaint <laughs> He just rolls up he's like and then they use that that music the soundtrack the rest of the like the the next series of scenes of like just police officers getting out of cars
0: yeah so spot. the that I actually wanted to bring that up specifically. I, I wanted to highlight the editing in this film uh, because I thought that the editing was fantastic. And I don't, I, I didn't write down the name of the editor, and I don't see it on their IMDb page, so I'm not. I don't know who to give credit to on this, but Don,
1: Don Bernier.
0: Well, fantastic editing. I mean, that's that scene. In particular, with the, the drum line playing as the, you had that sort of montage of police yeah. just getting out of their car, getting out of their car, getting out of their car. Like that was amazing. But there was a lot of like really subtle edits and transitions that happened in this movie. Things that you might not even notice if you weren't paying close attention to. And, but, but I did notice and I was just like, wow, you know, the editing in this film is utterly fantastic. Like the, um, I don't know, this is like a, just one random thing that I noticed. And maybe this is like an easy thing that they did. And I was just kind of like wondering, there's a scene where the city councilman is doing an interview with a radio show. And we hear, as far as the audio, we hear the audio from the radio of the person asking the questions on the show. And then we hear his answers because we're in the car with him. So the audio is him actually giving the answers. And then after the interview, the person on the radio moves on to the next segment and he turns off the radio. But what, what kind of, what kind of confused me about that was like, we didn't hear his answers through the radio show. You know what I mean? Like we didn't, We heard the questions being asked through the radio, but we didn't hear his answers. So I'm wondering, like, did they... They must have edited that in post to either make it sound like he was listening to the radio at full volume when he actually had it turned down all the way. But I don't know. It was just like a subtle little thing that they did that they didn't have to do that, that they didn't have to make it so slick, but they they did. And it's like a small touch that... Just made everything flow much better and sound much better. And I just really appreciated that in this movie. Charm
1: City is quite good.
0: Yes, Charm City is quite good. Let's give it a score. Uh Kevin, I think you gave it an eight out of ten in your review. Are you you're sticking yeah, with that score? I'm, I'm still I'm still there. I'm still in an eight. I'm uh I'm gonna sit at a seven and a half on this one. Really, really enjoyed yeah. it. Solid, solid documentary. Not sure what the release date for this is yet, but keep an, keep an eye out for it, certainly. This premiered at Tribeca and is playing at the uh, Human Rights Watch Film Festival right now. I'm not sure if it has any additional screenings, but uh, check out their website for, for more information. Again, that's Charm City. All right, let's talk about our next film, The Distant Barking of Dogs. This is written and directed by Simon Lorraine Wilmont. I have a synopsis here for this. The distant barking of dogs is set in Eastern Ukraine on the front line of the war. The film follows the life of 10 year old Ukrainian boy Oleg throughout a year, witnessing the gradual erosion of his innocence beneath the pressures of war. There's a longer synopsis available on IMDb if you want to check it out, but that's sort of the gist. I have a review for this up on the site. Right now so kevin we'll start it with you what did you think of the distant barking of dogs
1: well that title they deliver on that immediately <laughs> yeah immediately but... there's yeah. barking dogs in the distance um True there's, story. Also, there's also some good uh, cat action in this movie so there's dogs and cats um this is man this is the type of movie, because it's kind of the same thing. It's just kind of ob- observational style where they just kind of shadow this kid and his family, him and his grandmother, really, and I guess, uh, was it his cousin? His- yeah, his cousin. I don't know. Who's the teen? Was it like, was like Is that just a neighborhood kid, or were yeah. they actually related in some way?
0: No, nah, that's just his friend, I think.
1: One of the things immediately struck me, one of those movies where I immediately see myself thinking of the future, like, which is like what is the impact of this living situation? Like how's this kid gonna turn out?
0: Oh yeah, I mean the and I the f- mean we
1: get a little a little bit of it in the movie, but I like immediately it's just like, okay, I I understand the situation. I know what's happening. And then my mind just starts trailing off and thinking about like, how is this going to impact him? You know, what's this going to do, you know, his psyche and everything. And, uh, you get a little taste of it towards the end where he starts, you know, some of the stuff that he says and starts doing.
0: That's definitely a big part of this film is, I mean, you can see this is like a coming of age story. That's, happening that you, that you can see happening in real time. I mean, this, this is a loss of innocence right here. And it, it's funny because at the beginning of the film, uh, when they, when they start shooting, he's sort of, he's not oblivious to what's happening, but it doesn't seem to be really affecting him too much. Cause it, it almost seems like he's not, quite sure what's going on because he has that child, that sort of childhood innocence. Like he hears bombs going off in the distance. He knows they're at war, but it seems like he's still sort of disconnected from it. However, as the film goes on and as the bombs get closer and as the violence starts getting closer to him and he starts learning more about what's going on, you you just see that you see that change begin in him where this is really starting to take its toll on this kid. Cause you, you could see like at the beginning, it didn't seem to affect him too much. You know, he didn't seem to be too yeah. bothered I by think, it. I don't, I don't think he completely understood
1: the gravity of the situation and, and be, I don't think, I think it was still, it seemed like it was still relatively new. So I I don't, you know, and then it's just, it's kind of like the the repetitiveness of it just kind of starts getting to him after a while.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could see like by the end of the film when they're trying to eat dinner and the bombs keep going off and how that's just affecting him.
1: And it was his, his younger cousin, the yard kid, you know, he's jumpy when The bombs are going on, like he's losing it, he's terrified. Yeah, and Oleg is kind of just like, Yeah, this is another day. And I think that was the, the also to the like the the impact that it was had her, I think is what's kind of brought him around to kind of understanding the situation. It, like, really, it takes a toll on her,
0: she's affected by it right away because she knows what's going on, and plus they said she, she told that story early on about their neighbor and what happened to their neighbor. Uh, so just to, just to step back a little bit, the village that they're in is about a mile away from the front line of the, um, the, the war between Russia and Ukraine. So they're very, very close. And most people in their village have already left. They already evacuated and they're, they're gone. However, Oleg and his grandmother have really nowhere to go. And so they stay. And as one of the, one of the, the story that the grandmother tells is that there was a a bombing one evening and uh, a a shell, I guess, sent shrapnel or something through the windows of their neighbor's house and ended up killing their neighbor in a very horrific manner. So it's, it's not like this is really far away from them that, that it couldn't impact them. It's not like they just hear the bombs in the distance. There's, there's this ever present threat that one of these bombs could easily just land in their backyard. Yeah.
1: Oh, and not only that, it's just like what's left behind because like they have um, two soldiers, Essentially, come to his classroom, and they're like teaching them about mines and leave mines alone, and don't, you know, why when you you know look down at your feet when you're walking through the fields to make sure you don't accidentally trip them. And then they're like they're naming all the mine types that there are, and I was just, just really struck by you know how the one kid's like, yeah, my dad's he's getting ready to go to war, and the you know the one woman soldiers just kind of like. Well, yeah, you know, tell him to be careful. Like, like he's, just, like he's just signing up for some like extracurricular activity. Yeah, it, tell him, all, tell him just, to be careful. The be the not
0: like the knowledge that these kids had when it comes to different types of minds and stuff, like listing off the different types of minds and how they work, and like how they
1: work and it's how you a- can make them. It's just like they shouldn't know this
0: stuff. Exactly. They shouldn't. They should not know this and they, they should not have to know this. And they, you know, do drills and stuff in school on how to how to act during these bombing runs that happen every single night. I mean, can you imagine every night you go to bed knowing that you're going to be listening to bombs all night that, yeah. that are like oh, yeah. less than a mile away from your home?
1: Yeah. It's like it's just the stress levels. And you're just going to have this that stress level forever. Like even if the bomb stops, the war stops or whatever, like you're going to have that.
0: This yeah, this is something that will stay with him for the rest of his life. I mean this this will shape who he is yeah, as well, a person. They,
1: they talked about that one kid that got so stressed out that he started bombing him. And now like that's his reaction to anytime a bomb goes off. Now he vomits. Yeah. Like that's his life. Yep. Which is, it, which is something that I did appreciate with this movie is they don't really get into the politics of the actual war, like the fighting. They, they just keep it really focused on like at a, at a personal level. And it's just like the politics of this war don't matter. It's just a war that this kid is living in. Yeah. This is the effect that it has.
0: Yeah. That's, that's what really struck me with this movie as well. Like this is a really intimate story. It's, it is not this large scope that talks about, you know, what sparked the war or, or who's, who's to blame, who's involved. It doesn't even give you updates as far as where we're at in, in the, the timeline of the war during this it's just it keeps it very very close to oleg and just follows him around and a lot of the a lot of the film is just him doing kid stuff like running around it's just that he does kid stuff that everybody else does most young boys do it's just that he's doing it in a war zone and he's like you know rummaging through bombed out buildings and uh, like abandoned factories and stuff like that he's but Smash but bottles lot, yeah lots lots of bottle smashing i think you you and i have done our share of bottle smashing when we were kids
1: there's there is something yeah there's some it's really uh it's a fun activity for whatever reason
0: yeah, I don't know. It's some something with boys, like boys like destroying things.
1: It's just I don't know, yeah. It's shatter, the sound. I don't know why.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what it is either. I think I think it's like a visceral reaction you get with breaking a bottle. But he's, you know, swimming with his friend. And then his his cousin is there at the beginning, but then his his aunt, his cousin's mom. They they leave. They're like, yeah, we got to get out of here. This is this is a bad situation. But the problem is wherever I can't remember where they said that they moved to. But the kid, his cousin, gets bullied so mercilessly where they're at that they end up moving back. And then the the cousin moves back in with the grandmother. And then the aunt leaves again because she said if she stays, then her husband. Will join the army, and
1: yeah, join the army.
0: So she leaves, and the cousin lives, moves in, moves in with uh, Oleg and his grandmother. So at least he has, because it seemed like he was really he got really lonely when the cousin left, because they 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 thought that the cousin was going to be gone indefinitely. So I'm glad to see that like his cousin came back at least and he had that, that support system there that he could at least have a friend to play with. And I don't count that teen, that teen kid because that kid was like a horrible influence. I don't know why that kid is hanging out with these, these little boys to begin with. I guess probably. Well, I think
1: they, it's like kind of the, <laughs> the only other person in the village. I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I Got the feeling that there there probably wasn't really anybody else there as far as like kids go. So maybe that's why he sort of took him under his wing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just an incredibly powerful story that uh, is tragic in a lot of ways just to see what's happening with this kid. And I think that the, what happens towards the end where the friend, I'm trying to look up this kid's name, uh, Kostya Kostya is the friend's name. Uh, when Kostya gets that, the gun, the, it's like an air pistol. It's like a pellet gun. Yeah. It's like, it's it's like a high powered pellet gun, like a CO2, like a CO2 powered pellet gun. So it's like a higher powered one. And he gets that, and of course, for some reason, he lets Oleg play with it. And he ends up shooting, and the pellet ricochets and hits him right in the ankle. Which, I can't believe that kid didn't need stitches after that. When they showed that wound, and how much it was bleeding, I was like, oh man, he's got to go to the hospital. So they take him to the hospital, and the people at the hospital are like, ah, he's fine. Well, I did like, they were like, we can... We can't stitch it up, but we don't have to. It looked so <laughs> bad, like, it, like by the time he got to the hospital, it looked all purple and it just it looked infected and not, yeah, not great. It was just fine.
1: Boy, well, and you knew it was gonna happen. Like as soon as he pulls out the gun, oh yeah, Kostya, The first thing he says is like, "Yeah, the other day they had to pull it from my head because it got stuck in there." And it's just like, oh god, someone's getting shot. And then the whole time they're shooting it, they're talking about, yeah, it's Rick Shane everywhere. It's goodness. Yep. And then as soon as you could just tell by the way, oh, like like the the way he reacted, there's a little bit of surprise and shock there, and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, he got shot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was he was all right, so it's it's okay to laugh at the situation. But then you see it when they're.
1: They, they go out later and they're shooting
0: the frogs. And he
1: kind of has that realization, like after the moment of like, why did I shoot these frogs?
0: Yeah. And I also appreciate, frogs. yeah, that, that was a difficult scene to watch. And then, and then I, I do appreciate how I think one of the most powerful moments of the film came after that, when he had that conversation with his, with his grandmother about, you know, she, she had heard that, that Kostya had this gun and that he was shooting it. And, um, he then admits to, to his grandmother that he shot the frog. And then they have a conversation about that. And, uh, I I thought that that was one of the most sort of touching moments of the film. Yeah. And it was a good way to end it too, because I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't the final, final scene, but, um, the, it was a good way to sort of, bookend this whole story where it his grandmother is essentially saying, like, don't don't grow up to become this, you know, like she's clearly worried that this this uh, this life that he's leading and the situation that he's been thrust into is going to set him down this path to just becoming another soldier, you know, and she doesn't want that. For him,
1: so what? Uh, what do you? What did you rate? Distant barking dogs.
0: I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. I think I'm. I think I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, there, there are there are a few lulls here and there with it, but overall, I thought it was uh, just a really engaging story, and I really, I really enjoyed it. So I, I would definitely recommend checking out. The distant barking of dogs. Just, I just, agree. just very, very sad. Just a very sad story. Indeed. Also, well shot, though. I liked the, you had mentioned it at the beginning, the whole, just the kind of fly on the wall vibe of this movie. There was like absolutely no, at least from what I could tell, no interaction with the filmmakers whatsoever. Yeah, and I I like that in uh, in documentaries where they just simply document. I mean, even when Oleg was shooting and stuff, they they just let it ride. And I think that that's probably difficult to do, especially in films like this. But um, I appreciated that about it. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, a couple other films that I saw at the festival. Uh, one of them is called women of Venezuelan chaos. Uh, this is a, this is a really, I have a review for this up on the site. This is a really great, uh, documentary about five Venezuelan women. Um, and they all have completely different backgrounds, completely different situations in their lives, but they're all being affected by some facet of the current, regime in Venezuela and the absolute horrific atrocities that are happening there on a daily basis. Um, if you're not familiar with what's going on in Venezuela right now, um, the, the country is in intense turmoil. There's violence that's rising on a daily basis. There's kidnappings, uh, food shortages. There are, There's just not enough food in there and they can't seem to provide their people with enough food. So you have food lines. There are not enough medical supplies. So one of the women that the film follows is a nurse and she's a nurse in a pediatric ward in a hospital. And it should be noted that there are very stiff jail uh, penalties, penalties of prison for people that film inside of hospitals or of food lines in Venezuela. And this film is absolutely chock full of, I mean, the the, the sequence with the uh, the nurse, the whole sequence, almost the whole sequence takes place inside of a hospital. And they have these amazing tracking shots. These like steady cam tracking shots that just go through the entire hospital. And it several times throughout the film, I I found myself thinking like, Oh my God, these, these filmmakers are just really putting themselves at such an insane risk to capture this, this footage and to show what kind of horrible things uh, the, the living situations are for people in Venezuela right now. And it just, I knew it was bad in Venezuela, but when you see it, when you can put a name and a face to what's happening over there and you can hear specific stories and you can see the food lines and you can see the absolutely horrid conditions of their hospitals. Like, I mean, it's like unbelievable. There's a scene where she needed to give, she had um, a, a baby in her ward that was, it was sick. I can't remember if they said what was going on with the baby, but she needed to give him a shot. And they only had one syringe and it was broken. So she had to go to So if they run out of syringes, they have to go to another ward in the hospital to see if they can borrow a syringe from another department. So she has to go all the way over to this other wing of the hospital, try to get a syringe. They didn't have any, of course. So she has to tell this family, I'm sorry, but we can't give your child the medicine that he needs because we don't have any syringes that are, that can be used. And she talks about how there, there are stories that happen like every week where kids die because they don't have the medicines. And there's this one shot where they show um, like they're, their medicine cabinet, essentially, where there's just these dirty cardboard boxes that are just empty, like all these different like antibiotics and different medicines that the boxes are completely empty because they just don't have any supplies. And the, uh, it, it's a really tough documentary, but at the same time, I think that it is important just because This is happening right now. This isn't something that it has, you know, is from 10 years ago or something like this is, this is going on right now. And the situation now is either the same or worse than when this documentary was created. So it's, I feel like a lot of people should be watching this and getting involved because it's what's happening over there is, is criminal. So again, that's. (laughs) Called Women of Venezuelan Chaos, um, highly recommend checking that out. Uh, another one that I saw is called A Notes Arc. This is a documentary about the um, the small. There's an island nation called uh, Kiribati. It's on the uh, it's on the equator. It's so it straddles the northern and southern hemispheres, and it. Is about how this this nation, this country, is going to be the first country that that disappears because of climate change. Uh, the rising sea levels have already taken away two villages in this in this um, area, and the film follows the president of Kirbashi uh, as he tries to plead with nations' leaders on. Coming up with agreeable and sustainable climate change laws that will hopefully prevent it from getting worse, but also maybe reversing some of the effects. He was sort of uh, he was sort of not I don't I don't want to say instrumental, but he was definitely a part of the the Paris Agreement. Like he was someone who was a part of that, making sure that that gets pushed through. Uh, his name's Anote Tong, by the way. One of the most tragic things about this documentary is that it was shot before uh, that president, Anote Tong, stepped down, like he was reaching his term limit, so he was about to to leave office, and it was also before Trump. So we see all of this this positive change that that uh Obama was involved in and President Tong was involved in and then the their successors pretty much undo all of the work that they did so mm-hmm. it's a little bit infuriating the thing that i appreciate about this this documentary is it's it's not your by the numbers climate change doc it it it's not um it's not about the argument of whether or not it's real or any of this stuff. It doesn't throw lots of stats and figures at you. It is it's very specific to this country and it talks to the people in the country and talks about how this is affecting them. And so it, it takes it down to a very real and specific level. And I appreciated that. It's a messy documentary though it the the problem is it doesn't just follow President Tong it follows this this other uh woman around who ends up fleeing the country because her her home gets flooded and she has to go to New Zealand for work and New Zealand actually opens up all of these I think they open up this like sort of work visa and invite. 20,000 of, uh, the, the Kiribashi citizens to apply for this, this work visa and she gets accepted. So it goes through her journey as well. And I feel like it's almost like it's, we're watching two different movies at once because I'm not, I'm just not sure. Like her, her story I think is, it's, it's interesting. And I think that her story should be told, but I'm just not sure that this is the documentary for that. Uh, mm. But does
1: it, does it kind of match up?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Either way, this is still a, a probably light recommend for me. I think I have a review for this up on the site. Also screening at um, Human Rights Watch Film Festival is The Cleaners. That's a, I won't talk about it anymore because I talked about it uh, previously on the uh, on yeah, the on the show. I'm
1: sick and tired of hearing about it.
0: This is, uh, this is excellent though. Um, if whenever this comes out, go check it out. It's a film about content moderators, basically armies of people who get paid to scrub the internet of, um, what would be deemed considered inappropriate imagery. So you have violent imagery, scenes of war, uh, child pornography, or just any any really any pornography at all that appears on sites like Facebook or Twitter. Uh, excellent, excellent documentary. This is probably my favorite of the festival, so definitely worth a look. And I think that'll end our Human Rights Watch 2018 coverage. Be sure to check out the the full lineup because there were there are a lot of docs. Screening there that I think are worth a look. So if you get a moment, check out the website, look at the lineup, and then maybe start adding some of these to your your watch lists and uh, keep a lookout for them. Because I'm sure a lot of them are going to get picked up by like CNN films and Netflix and all these other platforms. It's a yeah. great That's the great thing about the uh, sort of emergence of this, of like VOD... And stuff like that is you have a lot of documentaries that are coming out now that, I mean, if you remember back before Netflix and VOD, you just, you couldn't see docs. Like where, where could you see documentaries, you know? Yeah. You either saw them in the theater or you waited until maybe PBS showed it at like 1 a.m. one night or something. (laughs) Let's talk about what we got coming out in theaters this week. We have The Domestics coming out, the horror film. Uh, Blake saw this at Cinepocalypse this week, and uh, he liked it. I, I think I'm going to give it a look. I'm sort of interested in it. We got Sicario De the Soldado. <laughs> it used to be called, I think it used to be called like Sicario 2 Soldado, but now they changed it. Yeah. Uh, this love, is probably love. not going to be very good, love but that new name. yeah, I'll check it out. But I have no expectations for it.
1: Check it out too. I just I love for whatever reason. Um the the Benicio del Toro move is so funny to me. Like how it's supposed to be badass, where he like takes his mask off and he does his finger real fast. Yeah, he puts his finger in there. <laughs> Because all I could think of is like, like kids playing Time Crisis, <laughs> yeah. like that <laughs> police
0: police trainer in the
1: they arcade. They were, yeah, they thought they were so fucking cool when they played it that way. Uh.
0: I I can't remember what movie that. You know what? I I just saw that move in a movie. I think it was Hard Target. I rewatched John Woo's Hard Target recently, and I think that somebody in that movie that's where it comes from. did that same move with the index finger back think, and forth real quick. Yeah.
1: I feel as though that would, that should be an a, uh, investigative piece. Someone needs to track that back and try and find where, where it came from. You don't see it a where lot. It originated from. No, you don't know, for good reason. It's really <laughs> corny.
0: Uh, <all laughs> I right. like to
1: track its history across time.
0: Yeah. That would be, that would be an in, interesting investigation. I think. Uh, we have Uncle Drew. This is the the basketball comedy. I'm actually sort of interested in this. I want to. I don't know if I'll see it in the theater, but I, I do want to see it at some point.
1: I do as well. It looks fun.
0: It does look fun. Got Leave No Trace. Got uh, three identical strangers coming out, which I'm that that's a doc that I'm really interested in. I've heard nothing but great things about it. I tried to see it at uh, I think it was at Sundance, and it had scheduling conflicts. But really, uh, really into that one. Dark River we got Woman Walks Ahead, Custody, The Cake Maker, well,
1: the only old cake maker. Yeah.
0: Uh, Ideal Home—that's the comedy with Paul Rudd and uh, Steve Coogan. Probably, probably not good. No. Yeah, Blackwater. It's an action action yes. thriller starring Van Dam and Dolph Lundgren. Hover. That's a uh, like a sci-fi horror movie about drones, I think. It's got a really cool got
1: some drones in there.
0: It's got a cool poster. A good, good,
1: yeah. I like the poster. It's got them hover drones.
0: Yeah, the hover uh drones. the trailer's not doing it for me. I, I caught the trailer for this a while back. This is a sci-fi. Movie, I believe like the as in the channel, but it's like, uh, it's a sci-fi movie, but it's in going to be in theaters, not like on the, on the channel. I don't know. Might, might give it a look VOD this week. We got, uh, let's see China salesman. This is a uh, action film starring Mike Tyson and Steven Seagal. <laughs> oh boy. We got Hot hot Summer Nights. This is the one with uh, Timothy Chalamet. That's going to be on that's uh, on DirecTV only. So if you have DirecTV, you can check it out. If not, you're screwed.
1: Shit out of luck, buddy. Sorry.
0: That comes out on the 28th. And then on the 29th, we have Recovery Boys, which is a Netflix documentary, I think. Ideal Home and Blackwater okay. Blu-ray this week. Superfly from 1972 is getting a Blu-ray release. This reminds me, uh, a whole bunch of exploitation films are going to be making their way to VOD uh, and yes. very soon, including like Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and Dolomite, all the pretty much not all, but a lot of the classic Black exploitation films are going to be on VOD coming out very soon. Can't remember the company that's putting them out, but uh, it's pretty pretty cool that that's happening. Got the endless, yes, yeah, huge fan of this. This is, I think, this is still my number one movie of 2018. This is Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's uh, sci-fi thriller genre mashup. Got a lot going on with that movie. Highly recommend it. We got the addiction. We got the addiction coming out on uh, Arrow. This is the 1995 um, Abel Ferrara film. Uh, nice. By the time this airs, there should be a review for this one up on the on the site. I never. Uh, this was the first time I watched this movie for uh, for the review, and it's pretty good. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Ferrara, but one of the best things about this release is that there's a making of documentary on it. That's that's directed by Abel Ferrara. Like he makes a new documentary for this Blu-ray and it is the most ridiculous, like half-assed thing you will ever see it. The, the conversations and the questions that he asks people, like he has Lily Taylor in it and he has Christopher Walken in it. And just the conversations, these are like random tangents that happen, it, it's it's amazing. <laughs> you have to see it just for this making of documentary that he that Farrar makes. It's ridiculous. Uh, let's see nice. what else we have here. A breed apart from 1984 getting a Blu Ray release. Terminal, that came out earlier this year, but I'm not really. Uh, it kind of came and went, like not not too. It stars Margot Robbie, but I'm not too. Familiar with uh, what that's all about? Vigil from 1984. This is another Arrow video release that we'll have a review for up by the time you hear this. Uh, this is a really great. I think I might have talked about it on the show previously, but great New Zealand release. Super underrated. Like I don't, I don't hear anybody talking about this movie, and it is like visually stunning. Like Kevin, this is this is a movie that's right up hmm. your alley. It's like Everything yeah, is takes place in the, n- the New Zealand countryside and everything is yep. just muddy and foggy but like the the cinematography is just so incredible. Um definitely want have to, it,
1: have to
0: check that one out. And it's super dry too, so you definitely What else do we have here? Spinning man. The old spinning man coming out on blue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I kind of love spinning man.
0: Worst, maybe the worst title of the year? I'm not sure. German Angst is coming out. This is uh, one of these like kind of lost films that's just now seeing the light of day. It originally came out in 2015, but it didn't get really any kind of a release. Got China Salesman. We got uh, Beauty and the Dogs. We got Hannah from 2017 coming out. And that's pretty much it. What do we have on Criterion this week?
1: We got two, two, uh, two Blu-rays from two masters cinematic Titans. So you have spring from Bergman. That's getting your Blu-ray coming out there. 1960. And then you've got John Waters Female coming out on Blu-ray director approved special edition.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited for, for Female Trouble. This is a uh,
1: whole bunch of uh, rare ones, set footage, interviews, more interviews, some new interviews, got a audio commentary from Waters. I mean, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, that, that one is definitely one that I'll be picking up for sure. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to feedback at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulsenet and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.